Digital 410 proudly presents the Failed to Fail Podcasts with your host, Don Abernathy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Failed to Fail Podcast, episode number four. It's got a little something scratchy going on with my throat right now. I don't know what it is. It's a nice rainy night. Um, I have been super crazy for the last past week. I came across this podcast called the 75 Hard Podcast. And off the top of my head, sorry, I don't have the cat's name. The guy's doing it. But I'll get more to that next week anyhow because I we're going to have a guest on here shortly. And I don't want to promote someone else's podcast when I'm getting ready to talk to somebody else about their podcast. But anyhow, that's not the point. The point is I just started this thing called 75-Day Challenge. And ignore the bird in the background. She's happy. It's it's a rainy day. She's got nothing to do. So just we'll just let her sing. It's a motivational podcast. Maybe it'll make some of you all happy. <laughs> but anyhow... The idea of the 75-day challenge is um, to push yourself to get past the plateau or maybe to push yourself into getting started into an exercise regimen. And this particular challenge, if you will, is you got to work out twice a day, 45 minutes each time or 40 minutes. I usually go to 45. I think technically it's 40 minutes. Twice a day, one of those exercise sessions must be outdoors. Got to get you outside, get you out in the sun, get you out in the elements, into the heat so you can deal with it. Uh, step two. Got to read 10 minutes a day of a nonfiction entrepreneurial book. Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I do read the 10 pages a day, not 10 minutes, but 10 pages. But I'm not doing the entrepreneur stuff. It's nonfiction stuff because if I'm going to utilize that time best to fit my schedule, why not read my World War II book so that I can use that content to provide more information in my World War II-based podcast. So I figure instead of reading entrepreneurial books a day for 10 pages, I'll read 10 pages of nonfiction book i.e. World War II, because i got a World War II book library here I need to get through. And so I'm killing two birds with one stone. I am doing a 75-day challenge. I am reading a nonfiction book. I am reading at least 10 pages. But I'm also educating myself to provide better content for another podcast that I do. Uh, Step three, work out twice a day. Read 10 minutes a day. Step three is to maintain a diet. You choose a diet at the beginning of this thing, whether you want to do keto, paleo, uh, your grandma's baked ham diet, whatever diet you think is going to work for you you got to do that diet. And step four is to take a daily progression picture. Now, for most of us, it's not a big deal. We usually do it at the gym anyhow. Because let's face it, after a while, at least if you've been working out for a while, you kind of get the whole, um, I don't want to say body dysmorphic syndrome, but it's almost like the best way I can explain is you have a dog, right? This dog's 10, 11 years old. And you have a family member who comes to your house who hasn't seen the dog in a while. And they can see the change, whether it's fatter, skinnier, older, what have you. But because you see that dog every day, you don't really notice the change until someone points it out. Well, it's kind of the same thing with our own bodies. When we're working out, we're losing weight or we're gaining muscle tone. Or for that matter, when we're all putting the weight on. It's like we don't see it every day and then something happens. Whether we're on somebody's video or somebody takes a picture and posts it and we weren't aware and we see it like, holy shit, I put on some weight. Well, that's kind of the same thing when you're losing weight or gaining muscle tone. You're looking in the mirror every day and so you don't really see that change. And so by taking daily progression picture, you can look at them and sequence and actually see the the gains or losses, whatever it may be. So that's the four basic steps. And it doesn't sound too hard except for step number five. And it's a step I kind of adopted saying to keep yourself honest. And that is if you miss one of the other four steps, you got to start over. I don't care if it's day 33 and a half. Like me, I made it to day three and I realized I forgot to read my 10 pages. Nobody knew but me. But to keep myself honest and to challenge myself, which is the whole reason why we're doing these things, I called myself on it. I said, hey there, fella, you forgot to read, so now you got to start all over. So on Monday, Monday is going to be my second day one. But we'll get into that more on the next episode coming up because we got a packed full episode right now. 
Uh, I'm just excited because I got that going on. I got something else I don't want to let out of the bag yet. I'm kind of in step four of this process to doing a really, really cool project. Um, at least it'll be cool for what I like to do. Um, some of you guys will get a kick out of it when I finally do it and I come back and tell you guys what I did. So that kind of happened. Um, I just got the information on that today. Excuse the background noise. <laughs> oh, sorry. I forgot an important step. You have to drink a gallon of water a day. So here in the studio in my hand, I have my metal cooler with my water in it. And that's what that noise is. That's the cork on it. So yes, 75 day challenge real quick. Drink a gallon of water a day. Two workouts a day, 40 minutes a piece. One must be outside. Read 10 minutes of a book. Follow a diet and uh, take a picture of yourself daily. That And do that straight for 75 days. If you miss a day, you mess up. But anyhow, back to short-term goals. I set different short-term goals for different things I want to do, whether it's for the podcast, for my business, for personal things, for hobbies that I'm working on. And a very cool opportunity has come my way that I threw my hat in the ring for, and it looks like it may actually happen. Once I don't want to jinx myself, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. So once that happens, I will let you guys know in great detail what happened there. Because after all, this is a motivational podcast. Uh, this is where we try to bring people on to motivate you in different ways, uh, whether it's lifestyle, fitness, what have you. Much like every podcast, this thing will change, morph, and it'll find its own at some point. We're only five episodes in, and so let's get started. But first, it's time for house cleaning. The Fail to Fail podcast is part of the Digital 410 network, and much like the other podcasts on this network, we are recorded out of the At Computer Studio in Cape Coral, Florida. At Computers has been nice enough to sponsor our studio and sponsor all of our shows. They are our first and only primary sponsor, really. Uh, the other ones are just kind of affiliate programs, but At Computers is a sponsor. We love them. They love us. So huge props and thanks to At Computers for supporting the show, helping us get newer equipment when we need it. And if you want to support the show, you can support the show by supporting At Computers. Have a computer problem? Don't worry. At Computers can help you. Have a small business? Even better, App Computers has been servicing all of Southwest Florida since 2004. Yes, it is true, they do a lot of veterinary clinics, but that's not their only thing they do. They, they do spend a lot of time and a lot of focus on veterinary clinics because even though they're different clinics, they all use the same software, hardware, what have you. And so it's easy to come up with a structured plan that works in multiple places. But don't worry, if you have a drywall company, accounting firm, it doesn't even matter. Even if you're an accounting firm, you all speak German. We can still help because App Computers has everything memorized. They can help you out. Give them a call, 239-283-1120. If you need two-form authentication, two-form factor authentication for all your internet-based apps. For example, you're a small business owner, and from the house, you log into your server at the office so you can access your QuickBooks to do your accounting late at night when you have some time. Well, it doesn't matter if the port number on your uh, server has been changed to something other than the default. And if you have a rotating IP address, they can still get in. It's not the most secure thing in the world. So what do you do? You apply two-form authentication to your server. And what happens then is when you go to remote into your server and access QuickBooks, a little prompt will pop up on your cell phone, much like when you log in your Gmail from somebody else's computer. It'll say, hey, is this you? You hit yes, and it'll allow you to log in your server like you normally do. Say no, it'll stop the connection, and if somebody is actually trying to do something nefarious, your network is now secured. So Act Computers does provide that service, online backups, antivirus programs, computer repair, laptop repair, anything. Anything tech-related, you need cameras, internet expansion, wireless network expansion. Anyhow, Act Computers can do it all, 239-283-1120, act-capecoral.com. And I know what you're saying, Don, I like the idea of calling Act Computers, but I live in Ohio. How can Act Computers help me? 
Well, as long as your internet works, they can help. Just give them a call, 239-283-1120. They will direct you to their website, and they will log in and fix whatever problems you may be having. So one more time, 239-283-1120 at Computers. We love you guys so much, and thanks for all you do for the show. And while you're at at computers, just go ahead and uh, finish up there and then go over to d-410.com or, that's right, big news, since last episode, we now have our own domain name, failedtofail.com, that's F-A-I-L-E-D, failed, like you failed to class, to, T-O, fail.com, failedtofail.com or d-410.com, go to either one of them, click on the Amazon link, save that in your address, toolbar, or favorites, or on your desktop, or wherever you want to save it, and the next time you shop at Amazon, please click on that link, and Amazon will kick us down some coins to help us support the network. While you're at d-410.com, scroll to the right if you're on a computer, or scroll way to the bottom if you're on a mobile device, click on the t-shirt, and you can buy all of our shirts there from our storefront. A new Fail to Fail t-shirt is coming up soon. Buy any shirt you want, use the promo code all capitals, I listen. That'll save you $4, which will basically give you free shipping. And last but not least, if you're listening to this podcast, hopefully you're listening to it for self-improvement and maybe quite possibly, especially if you're listening to this episode, you're into some physical fitness or you're trying to change your diet. If that is the case and you're trying to get a little more active in your lifestyle and it's hot outside, it's summertime, we're in Florida, you're in Ohio, Massachusetts, Indiana, wherever, it doesn't matter, it's hot. You're outside trying to bike, walk, run, mow the grass, whatever you're doing, you're going to get sweat in your eyes or you need some compression socks or you need football gear for your son, go to sleefs.com, S-L-E-E-F-S.com. Whatever you buy during checkout, use promo code D41040. That will save you 40% on everything in your shopping cart on your complete order. D41040 at sleefs.com, S-L-E-E-F-S.com. And last but not least, Patreon. While you're at failtofail.com or d-410.com, go to the right-hand side, click the red button that's not centered up with the rest of the icons. I don't know why. That's the code they give me. I've tried editing it. I cannot get that son of a gun centered. It's driving me crazy, but that's another task for another day. Click on that link. That'll take you to Patreon. And there's three tiers. One tier is a dollar a month. Ladies and gentlemen, they'll literally take $1 a month out of your bank account and send it my way to support the network. If you really like us, you can sign up for the $3.50 a month plan. Or if you really, really, really like us, you can log in for the Deep Pockets Long Arms plan at $7.50 a month. If you sign up for that plan, the $7.50 a month plan, you will get a free t-shirt on the second month. And if you join any of those plans, even the $1 baller plan, you get access to the exclusive contents, videos, audio stuff that we put up on Patreon that no one else gets to see but you that's our thank you. And you also get first access to um, network-wide promotions. Actually, you get access to, let's say you're just a fail-to-fail podcast listener. You don't listen to my other podcasts, which is fine. But there's promotions going on those podcasts. You may not know about them, but if you are a Patreon user, you get access to those same promotions, even though you don't listen to the other podcasts. So there's a little extra for you, too. So all that stuff can be found at d-410.com or failedtofail.com. The bird's getting excited, so let's get on with the show. Thank you so much. And joining us now via Skype from Venice, California. Um, I came across this gentleman on Twitter of all places. Um, you know, I've said in past episodes on the Waterman and D-Train show that Twitter has become a political shit show, and I try to stay away from it. But every once in a while, I'll dip my toe into it and see what's going on. And I came across a uh, tweet by a gentleman. He's promoting a very cool project that I think is definitely worthwhile to spread the word on. As some of y'all know, over the last year, I've lost about 38 pounds due to my exercising, and most recently, 
My fascination with running, because I like to torture myself, and I just completed my fourth 5K, and I, I'm practicing for a half marathon, but now that I'm running 14 miles, people like to just skip the half go for the whole. Anyhow, we'll get into all that shortly. Joining us right now from Venice, his name is Brian Sanders. He hosts a podcast called the Peak Human Podcast. He's working on a sweet independent film. He's actually crowdsourcing it, but I'll let him get into all that. But as we tend to do on these podcasts, let's give a take a chance to get to know Brian. Um, he and I have some familiarities in the in our backgrounds, at least, as far as what he used to do career-wise. But Brian, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining me. Um, let's get right to it. I was looking at your bio, and before you dedicated your life to uh, setting wrongs to, uh, I mean, setting rights to some wrongs, you used mm-hmm. to be an IT guy, is that correct? Well, yeah. So I worked as a mechanical engineer, and then I worked in tech. So I have sort of this a lot of tech background. Yeah, back in 2001, I actually lived in Long Beach, as I was just telling you, off the air. And I actually went to school in Irvine to get my MCP, my MCSE, and my A+. And then after I got all that, I moved to Florida and couldn't find a tech job anywhere. So mm. you do what motivated people do, and you start your own. And so I've actually exactly. been running my own IT firm since 2004. But... Uh, I think you and I probably will share similarities in that venture as far as motivations, drive, and doing what you got to do to get things done. But uh, let's hear more about your background, and then we'll get into your projects. Yeah, sure. Well, I grew up in Hawaii, so that was interesting. And uh, I got into UCLA, so I went to mechanical engineering school there. And I think that gave me just this great foundation of science knowledge and critical thinking and systems approaches and scientific method and all this stuff that applied to all my ventures and then actually i had some really bad chronic overuse injuries from using the computer i was doing a lot of 3d modeling and engineering and i had to stop i had to quit my job it was so bad and so i got into tech and started just teaching myself design and learning everything about you know websites and apps and all that and did that for years so it was sort of this restart of my career that i i just took it upon myself to teach myself everything and then uh, then i finally got into nutrition and i got back into film so yeah the, the quick version is uh you know back into film actually cured some of my problems with my wrists and arms and these chronic overuse by eating a better diet i i believe is what happened is i start i stopped eating all these sort of sugars and refined grains and you know these kind of inflammatory foods and I, I lost some weight myself even though i wasn't ever really that overweight i i um I saw saw so many great improvements when I started eating a, a better diet. So that kind of leads to the film, which we can get into. Well, growing up in Hawaii, did obviously probably spend a lot of inordinate time out, outdoors, doing outdoor things. Was health and fitness kind of always in the family, or was that something you came into later on, you know, later on in life after you started working yeah. on your uh, repetitive stress issues? No, no, I was always outside. I was always running around. I was always jumping off cliffs and doing backflips off things and playing football and track and basketball. So it was always a part of my life. But um, I, yeah, I mean, I continued on. I played all sorts of intramural sports. And that was kind of the thing that I thought was interesting is I was always so athletic that I could kind of eat whatever I wanted. But 
then it catches up to you when oh. you know you're 25, 30. Then you can still be athletic, but you still can't eat whatever you want. Right? It really catches up to you. No, absolutely. Um, I was one of those kids. I mean, I was six foot five by high school. Um, I weighed a buck seventy five up until I was twenty two, twenty three. Always had the fast metabolism. When my uh, when I was younger, my dad took me to the doctor because he couldn't figure out why I couldn't put on any on any weight. It's just my metabolism was too fast, and I was just constantly moving. I was just constantly burning calories. But as you said, when you get older, you start working more. You stop moving less, and your diet doesn't change or your diet gets worse depending on what you're doing. And then before you know it, now you're six foot five, 240 pounds and you're shopping for a size 38 pant and you're like, Hmm, something's got to change. And then in the case of me, the, the big light, cause a lot of people who get into fitness later in life, usually there's a, a life effect. Something happens to them. And in my case, it was two, two millimeter size kidney stones that I wasn't able to capture, but so they weren't able to tell me what caused it, but I had a pretty good idea. It was probably the four Monster Energies, the 12 Mountain Dews, the two five-hour Energies, and all the other garbage I was drinking per day. And so yeah. even though I had been going to the gym, my diet was such garbage that the weight wasn't coming off. And once I just got rid of the soda out of my diet and cut my carbs down by 75%, and even though my fitness maintained the same course, my weight just started falling off. And then once I started adding running to the diet, forget about it. It just a complete game changer. Now, I was listening to a couple of your podcasts today. And uh, the one that caught my interest the most, and we kind of share this experience, unfortunately, was the one uh, you talked to, I think it's three episodes ago, about Alzheimer's disease and mm, the research yeah. being done on that. Now, I know your mother is suffering from that. And the reason I say we share that, too, is my aunt my, on my father's side, she caught it early. And didn't catch it in a good way. I mean, she got it early, and the detection wasn't picked up by her family until way late. And unfortunately, you know, there was very little they could do at that point. But the doctor you had on, um, you guys, and once again, comes down to a lot of the basis of what you do is the amount of effort and investigation put into the diet side of trying to mm -hmm. fix some of these, whether it's lupus, fibromyalgia, Alzheimer's some of the things that people are trying to do to correct that, not only with modern medicine, but through the proper use of diet. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, so that's how I kind of got started on this diet journey is I didn't realize that some of these chronic diseases like cancer and Alzheimer's were caused by diet or have a big role. Diet has a big role. I mean, there's so many causes with some of these diseases. There's genetic components. There's all kinds of environmental impacts with, with cancer and Alzheimer's, but a, a large part is actually due to diet. And it makes sense because our ancestors didn't get these diseases and we can look at modern hunter-gatherers that we can still see today that live long and don't get these diseases, right? So some people say, oh, well, our ancestors died early. And well, for one, that's not really true. It's the infant mortality kind of brings down the average, but also we can see in these modern hunter-gatherers that live into their 80s sometimes, they don't get cancer and Alzheimer's. So there's something going on and the biggest difference is our diet, right? So yeah, when, once this happened to my mom, that, that kind of woke me up and my dad actually passed away of cancer about four years ago. So this really, you know, hit me hard and I started thinking about it, researching it. And yeah, I think everything has, has changed for the better since I, I really focused down on this.
Well, I think we're all we're all familiar when I say all general. We're all familiar with paleo. We're all familiar with Atkins and keto. Some of us are familiar with NSNG, which is no sugar, no grain. But I heard you kept using a phrase that I had not heard of before, and which is sapien diet. What is the key mm. difference between what you talk about, the sapien diet, opposed to the no sugar, no grains? Or, you know, Atkins is pretty much outdated at this point, but keto and the paleo, which a lot of people are into right now. Yeah, well... So I've been doing so much research for this film. It's been two years of hardcore research. I've looked at every single kind of diet, all these dietary strategies, and I really think that I've come to find some simple truths that bring them all together. So I think that what a species-appropriate diet for humans is is a sapien diet, and it's more of a sapien framework. It's it's more of just a you know, a saddle, a constellation of strategies, right? Where we can, not everyone has to eat the same thing, right? I don't believe that this one size fits all diet. Like there's so many different kinds of people in the world. But the sapien framework embraces, say, paleo, embraces keto. It even embraces carnivore diets that some people may have heard about. It's people eating all animal foods. It also could embrace a pescatarian diet, right? If you choose to eat more plants and fish and that's your thing, then great. That what really the sapien diet is all about is eating nutrient-dense whole foods, for one. That's number one, right? Whole foods, as close as they, you can to how they come in nature. And the more processing, the, you know, the worse they get for you, pretty much. And the nutrient-dense part is, you know, you got to look at bioavailability of nutrients and, you know, how many nutrients there, there are in foods. And, you know, these animal foods tend to have more nutrients and more bioavailable ability your body can use them better so that so that's number one number two is folk is focusing on protein embracing fat and minimizing carbs so that in a way is is like many other diets like keto or you know maybe paleo and then the last one would be just don't eat all the time <laughs> right so that's a huge one this is it's huge, so huge. Condensed eating windows. People know it as intermittent fasting. They may have heard of um, all, all kinds of different names for it. But really, it's let's not eat all the time. We don't need to have six meals a day. That was a, the hugest mistake, I think. That people were recommending that for like 20 years. Well, I'm gonna you. I want to get into the movie in a second, but before we jump into that, one of the things I heard you kind of promote. As far as your eating schedule, which as you say, everybody's eating schedule is a little different, but you practice what you call the four, four, and two. Four hours after you wake up, and then four hours before you go to bed, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the simplest way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, well, because yeah, because everyone's schedule is different. So just, you know, that that makes an eight-hour eating window. And so if you wake up early, then that eight-hour window is going to be earlier. But it's just better to not be digesting food, you know, when you're trying to sleep. And it's, I don't think it's necessary to eat right when you wake up. I mean, if you're eating a good diet of healthy fats and proteins, you shouldn't really be hungry all the time. And, you know, I think there's a lot of good things that happen when you're not eating. Uh, a lot of people say, a lot of these experts say all the good things happen when you're not eating. There's, there's autophagy, which means your cells. Your, your whole body and cells get a chance to repair themselves. You're not – well, when you're eating, you're, that's called the fed state and your body's storing fat. And when you're not eating, that's called the fasted state and your body's using its energy. So it's better to spend more time 
in the fasted state. So you're using that energy instead of constantly eating and then having your body store that energy. So it's pretty simple if you think about it that way. And I think basically kind of what led you into the idea of this documentary that you're working on called Food Lies is a lot of people start reach, researching different diets, such as the ones you just named and and all the things that are involved with. And then, you know, you're 35, I'm 41, so you're six years younger than me. And so I'm sure that a lot of the school nutrition programs that you went through six years after I did were still the same throwback crap that we were getting from the 40s, 60s, and 70s, which was the food pyramid, which mm-hmm. heavily relied on the consumption of grains and carbohydrates. And then the dairy, yeah. and then the meat. And as gentlemen like you and, and other people who were into fitness and health and dietar- dietitian and dietary stuff and medical research, they're starting to discover that that uh, the pyramid we were sold on is not only not correct, but it's actually almost the opposite of what we should be doing. Is that kind of what led you into wanting to get the word out and creating this documentary, Food Lies? Exactly. I mean, this is what I grew up with. This is what my family grew up with. And I always say, I mean, we followed the guidelines. We ate by the food pyramid. We ate at home. We weren't ordering pizzas and going through McDonald's. Like We went out to eat once a week, one meal out of, say, 21 meals. Mm-hmm. We, we went out, 20 of them we ate at home or at the school cafeteria, right, which was the guidelines. Yep. <laughs> so I believe that that ruins my parents' health, and they – they weren't obese and they they were we weren't eating fast food but slowly they just got a little older and you just get that that sort of belly fat and you just get more problems with blood sugar and you know they weren't diabetic or anything but i just know that they had problems i mean alzheimer's is known as type 3 diabetes a lot right it's the insulin resistance of the brain so it's the same thing that goes on when people eat too much sugar and carbohydrates and get type 2 diabetes well that happens in your brain your brain can't use the glucose anymore because it's it's insulin resistant so yeah i mean there's a huge story here i mean i'm making a whole movie about it so i could talk about it for hours but it's basically we got it all wrong there's a long story in the 50s with ansel keys and people may or may not be familiar with it but it's sort of like an old story by now you know that we he blamed everything on saturated fat. He did the seven country study. Looked at these countries and said, "Oh, look at their these people. You know the 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 countries that ate a lot of saturated fat got heart disease. And the ones that didn't did not get it. But he cherry picked evidence. He you know left a lot of countries out that didn't fit this narrative. And then we got these bad guidelines. Right? Basically, we we went down the wrong route and we started recommending a low-fat diet and this gave this big green light to the food industry to start making all these low-fat foods which are these ultra processed foods and a bunch of high profit margin for, uh, foods for them well two things the more, um for those yeah. of my listeners who follow me over from my what's the scuttlebutt podcast because i do host a world war ii based podcast ansel keys is the k and k rations ladies and gentlemen mm-hmm. he is the man who basically was brought in by the de- the department of defense during world war between world war one and world war two when they got tired of eating the hardtack and that's what made him so dangerous is he had this invention for the K ration, and so as far as the government was concerned, this guy knows everything about everything. We gave him a task. He provided us 
with supplements for our soldiers. If it's good enough to win World War II, if it's good enough to win, win the Korean War, then this guy clearly knows what he's talking about. The problem is making some dehydrated crap that provides enough subsidence to keep you alive. Because, by the way, when you're out fighting a war and you're living in the field, there's nothing wrong with consuming more calories and carbs than you need. Because you're out mm-hmm. fighting, you're burning calories, you're liter- literally living outside. And so to have these food sources that are cranked up with way more nutritional stuff than you need is actually good in that environment. But when you're sitting at home working 9 to 5, not so much. And so he kind of let the power go to his head. And as you said, when he started doing his research about the seven countries, he started cherry picking a little bit. Um, he'd go to, I think it was like 24 countries. The ones that didn't fit his narrative, much like a lot of the stuff we see today, it just kind of gets pushed into a different pile, and then you cherry-pick the stuff you want. And he was basically responsible for the food pyramid and basically the country's food, uh, the government's food infrastructure that came out of the 50s and 60s that we all grew up on in the schools with the horrible uh, flat-colored, Ford-color posters of the food pyramid and the reason we all had to eat potatoes or some sort of bread with every meal. And that's the guy who's pretty much responsible for all of it. Exactly. It's crazy. And it's hard. Well, everyone kind of has their biases and they kind of do what they think is right at the time. But this one actually had insane repercussions. And our country as a whole, we just kind of needed an answer and ran with it. So, I mean... It's so many people's fault, really. If you if you look at it, we can't pin on one guy, but no. yeah, it was a pretty crazy situation. Well, I mean, and that sort of I don't want to say propaganda, but that sort of proliferation of misinformation, especially when it comes to like you were saying earlier with the um, the big corporations, you know, they're mm-hmm. trying to sell their wares. Um, you know, once again, growing up in the '80s and '90s, we heard part of this complete breakfast. What's part of this complete breakfast? An eight-ounce glass of orange juice. You mean the eight-ounce glass of orange juice that has more sugar in it than an eight-ounce can? I mean, a twelve-ounce can of soda? Yeah, that's one. Well, why is that? Well, that's because the orange growers got together and they said, "Well, it's part of this new, you know, part of the balanced, nutritious breakfast." Well, mm-hmm. now you should probably have your kids hold off on the uh, orange juice because there is a lot of sugar in that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't realize that it's sold to us as healthy, and it's. No one really questioned it, or people just said, "Oh, heart healthy, whole grains." People said that for so long, we just believed it was true, and now we're thinking, "Wait a second, maybe these heart healthy whole grains aren't so healthy. They have the same glycemic load as sugar, mm-hmm. right? It's like these these whole these whole grains just turn into glucose in your body. There, there's not a big difference. I mean, maybe it goes a little slower because of the fiber, but still." It, this there's just these misconceptions that these certain foods are healthy and that's I think a lot of these food lies that I'm talking about go both ways one is all these things that were billed as healthy all our life are turning out to not be healthy and then all these things that we're told are dangerous like red meat turn out to be completely fine it's I mean I believe red meat is a health food yeah. we've been eating red meat for all of history everything that we see that is that maybe in these correlation studies, this epidemiology, which can only show correlation and not causation, is all trying to say that red meat is bad. Well, I believe it's everything else that we're eating with that red meat that is causing these negative correlations. And there's there's a lot more to it if you talk about the healthy user bias, where you uh, people who 
who eat a lot of red meat tend to, to have a ton of other unhealthy habits. They smoke more, they drink more, they exercise less. They basically don't follow their doctor's guidelines. And since you know, all the doctors saying red meat's bad, people who avoid red meat, these are the ones that are doing all the healthy things. So it's it's not the fact that they're avoiding red meat; it's they're healthy in spite of that. They're, you know, these are the ones eating whole foods and exercising and all that stuff. Well, and not to mention the fact that there has been enough time that has gone by that with honest studies about people who go the complete other end of the spectrum where they're not even vegetarian, they're full-blown vegan, where they're not getting any animal-based proteins anymore, there are some serious health effects that come along with that if you're not supplementing it with you know, supplements to make up for your lack of protein intake and other vitamins that you get through red meats and, you know, and fish and things like that. So if you're predominantly literally eating nothing but vegetable base and, you know, and you don't have any animal type proteins, whether it's egg, fish or anything, you have to supplement a lot of that to in order to maintain the intake that you need, that your body needs. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very against a purely um, plant-based diet. I believe that you know people can make up their own minds, and I believe that as long as you include some animal foods, you can be okay. But it's just really weird to me that people choose to do this. I think it's based on misinformation. It's based on vegan propaganda, and you know we've been eating these some sorts of animal foods for all of history. There's no population that's ever been completely plant-based for all of history. We've prized these animal foods, whether it be the organ meats or the fat or fish eggs or bone broth or bone marrow. Like all these things were prized for all of history. And it's just very weird to me that we're living in this time where people – we've been sort of tricked by these people who who have good intentions. They're animal rights people, but they are spreading – misinformation you could call it disinformation purposeful wrong information that's hurting people's health and i've heard so many stories of people eating a vegan diet and ruining their health they have permanent damage there's a woman lear keith who wrote the book the vegetarian myth which is an amazing book and i did a great podcast with her um, about all these things that are basically the opposite of what the vegans are telling you. And she lived it hard. Like she was a plant-based vegan person for like 15 years, all in, doing all the right things, all the supplementations, everything. And she has permanent spine damage. And she, her everything went downhill. Like you, you need these animal fats and cholesterol to build your hormones. Right, especially for women, they have so many problems with they lose their period, their they their thyroid goes t- t- completely tanks. Some of them doesn't even work anymore. I've talked to some people recently who have the unfunctioning thyroid now because of eating just zero cholesterol and very low fat. So, yeah, there's so many things going on there with with this sort of vegan ideals that aren't really what humans are supposed to be doing. Well, see, that's kind of the dangerous part about when someone has a belief that becomes a religion. And what I mean by that is, we, you know, we're talking about vegans and, you know, we're talking about animal, you know, lovers, which 
trust me, I'm an animal lover. I'm surprised my birds aren't screaming in the background. I got three parrots in my damn house. But mm-hmm. it's interesting when people, especially people of science or people of this window, whenever they study nature, for example, they study whether it's, I don't know, a sea otter or a polar bear, koala bear, whatever. They study that animal in its natural environment. They study them for years and years and years and say, okay, here's the set of rules that nature made for them. Here's how they act in the community. Here's how they get their food, their protein. This is their diet. It is very important that we, man, do not interfere with this. So if you go into Yellowstone, don't feed, don't do this. Minimal, minimal, minimal contact. Okay, that's great. But let's study the human. Here's their diet. Here, oh, no, that's all wrong. We need to change that. That diet don't count. What you need to It's like, well, wait a minute. We all can agree that we're all part of the animal species in one way, shape, or form. We are animals. We are human. That's our species. Why is it perfectly clear and precise that every animal on this planet, their community operates a certain way, their food structure operates a certain way, they strive best in these environments, but when it comes to humans, and you try to look at it objectively and just do a study, no, that's all wrong. We gotta we gotta change it to fit the narrative of the person who's doing the study, which blows my mind every time. It's like, what's the difference? It, it it's really crazy. We're just we've just lost our way. We yeah, it's it's so weird. This is this last fifty years is in a crazy anomaly, and we I don't know how exactly went down this path. I I've talked to some people that have some ideas. If anyone wants to look up Dr. Gary Fetke, he's out of Tasmania and Australia and. And has this idea of how we got down this way, and it has to do with Seventh Day Adventists and religious views that meat was bad, and this long history back into the 1800s. But basically, through all these different things that lined up with Ansel Keys, or maybe the Seventh Day Adventists, maybe it's the Kellogg, John Harvey Kellogg. There's a whole story there, and oh, you mean about how cereal was invented for the people in the Salem asylums? Yeah, he had these sanitariums where yeah. they'd go. And he it was just, it was an anti-masturbation thing. He yep. thought that if you eat these plain cereals, it would stop people from masturbating, and that it was that meat was impure and it made you have impure thoughts. And well, it, 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 there's so many crazy stories out there. But we, well, yeah, I was we laughing. Just, I was laughing. You brought the meat was bad thing because I just had a flashback to '90s that Chris Rock's uh, Chris Rock stand-up act. He's like. Yeah, the Bible says meat was bad because back then they didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have preservatives. So they had a problem with all this spoiled meat killing people. He said, red meat's not bad. Green meat's bad. If you're lucky enough to get a hold of a piece of red meat, eat the shit out of it. Throw the green meat away. <laughs> and so the, when you're talking about great. that, I just had a flashback to that joke. and it, just, it made me laugh because, I don't know, it's just we're, we're just getting insane. But I don't want to get too far off the topic of food lies. Let's go down a little bit. So you came up with this idea. And now you needed a way to get this production out. And I know you, uh, in your bio, you said you've been doing some film stuff off and on since high school. You've been doing some uh, media creation. How did you, I guess, if someone's listening to this and, you know, everybody, you know, if you're out looking for motivational content, chances are there's things in your life that you want to do that you're looking for a boost, a kick in the butt. If someone's listening to this right now and they have an idea for a movie, documentary, short film, whatever, and they've been considering going down this road. Obviously, this isn't a step-by-step class and you know, how to get a film made, but just the broad strokes, where did you get started? I mean, obviously, you got to have some sort of background. You, you said you already do the, you know, you've had history in production and in, in the creation of movies, but I guess 
where did you get started on this and mm. and and are you are are you still in pro, uh, pre-production are you mid-production where are you at in your project and um how can people support your project and i know you can go to foodlies.org but let's let's get a little deeper into the movie itself yeah yeah so i don't think you need a ton of experience to make an indie film really i mean yes i grew up you know i took some film classes in high school and you know had fun making films but i'm I'm not necessarily some kind of film expert in any way i didn't go to college for it sure i mean i never did it professionally so i think that's very promising to people out there right that you don't need to be a professional you just need to put the steps in place and start the process and have some some know-how, but I think you can teach yourself everything, and I think a lot of it is about building skills over a lifetime, and then whatever you want to do, you can do it. I mean, like I said before, I was a mechanical engineer and then went into tech. Like, that's not the same. Sure. It sounds like it's the same because they're both kind of technical, but I taught myself everything by just going online and just watching videos or looking up designs and then I would copy those designs, right? I would sit there and I go to the website where the top, the world's designers put their work on display and every day I would copy a few of them and look at all 50 of the top designs and did that every single day and just, and then, then after a year I was a designer and people paid me to design websites and apps for them and logos and all kinds of stuff. Well, it's so, a lot easier now with the advent of WordPress, but back when you're using Dreamweaver or FrontPage, it definitely took a lot more work to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, now, I, yeah. Well, okay, I, I didn't do the actual development, but yeah. I did everything else other than development. But now you can even just use like Wix and yeah. make your own nice website. But anyway. Well, and kind you, of while we're can, on the topic real quick, you and I are both podcasters. Now, yes, mm-hmm. I worked for five and a half years in terrestrial radio, but 20 years ago, to do this out of your house or out of a studio you rent, what have you, um, one, the equipment was a lot more a lot more expensive because now that so many people are doing it, there's more quality, affordable microphones to buy, more quality equipment. So kind of like on the film scale, there's, there's no better time to be alive when it comes to wanting to do something on your own and to figure out a way to supplement your income on your own than 2019. Um, it's never been easier to make your own music. If you want to, if you're a musician, you want to record your own music. Back when I recorded my demo CD back in 1998, I had to go to a recording studio and pay some guy $500 an hour. Nowadays I could do it here in my podcast studio for free. Um, back in the day, you wanted to make an independent film. One, you weren't going out and using your cell phone or buying a nice high end, you know, affordable HD camera, you had to go out and buy an old 32mm or 8mm camera, you had to buy film, you had developing costs, color correction costs, and so comparatively speaking, there's never been a great time to do something creative that used to cost so much money, just the, the product, to production side of it used to cost so much more than to do it now. It's so great. I, I mean, it's a great time to be alive, and I feel like people can do almost anything these days. And and then, so to the film specifically, all I really did was build a website from the very beginning. I mean, I mean, we can almost do a step by step guide, sure. where step one, 
well, get your idea and we'll make sure you're passionate about it. Make sure you have a, some knowledge, a lot of knowledge on it, right? And, Correct. And s- some of these skills, like I talk about building skills over a lifetime, I think it's really important for people to have these hobbies or don't just go to work and then go play video games. You know, like go to work and then, you know, develop skills. What Whatever you're interested in might not be what you do as, as a job. So work on that while you're not at work. And yeah, it's not easy. It's more fun to just sit around. But for my whole life, I've, I haven't just worked a job. I've always been doing something else and filling my time wisely. So basically, I knew how to build a website. So, so we'll, we'll go to two years ago. I knew how to build a website. I knew how to even use these free tools like Wix are very low cost or Squarespace, whatever you want. These you can build a website for for free without any technical skills, but you need you know have some sort of design eye, have some knowledge, and you're off. And once you have that, it's so great these days. If you have a website, then all of a sudden you have something, right? It's like you, you you're you you're someone in a way. You can point to something, right? So now I can start contacting all these health experts that I found and say, hey, here's my website. Let, I'm, I'm filming this movie. Will you be a part of it? And you just go step by step and you get one and then you get the other. Then you can say, hey, well, this guy's on board. You know, what about, can you be on board? And pretty soon you're making a film. <laughs> well, and even easier than that, I, websites used to be the deal. If you didn't have a website, you weren't a com- company. But now, ironically, if you're not ready or you don't have the skills to even develop a website, that's kind of step two. Almost step one is a Facebook page, and everybody can create a Facebook page. I mean, that, there's a reason why Jello has a Facebook page, and every gas station you go to, everybody has a Facebook page, even though no one follows them. But it's almost if you want to be considered legit, you have to have a Facebook page. So you can even make that step one while you're Absolutely. working on the website for step two, and then attach the Indiegogo side and and, and all that. Yeah, or Instagram. And yeah, I mean, that's one of the most important parts is the social media. So you, I do Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. But, you know, you could pick one if you want and, and focus on that. But that really is is the backbone because your audience – these days it's all about just a community and people – supporting it and it's great because it's not you don't have these gatekeepers like a network that's you know there's only you know a few networks and the only way to get a tv show is to you know have to be in with these studios you'd be in hollywood no if you have an audience if you have your uh, following if you have people that support and like what you're doing then you can have your own show you could put it out on youtube and have no gatekeepers perfect example and, last week's episode yeah. featured an uh, author and high school friend of mine Christopher P. Stanley. He um, was a school teacher. He was a historian. Then he got an idea for a children's book, started researching what it took to get a book published, and he said, the hell with that, I'll just self-publish. Fast forward, uh, I don't know, eight years. Now he owns a publishing company called Jump Splash Books. Him and his um, writing partner have four books of their own. They got another author with a three-book series on their imprint. And so instead of doing, you know, being dis- discouraged by the old school boundaries of entry, he just made his own path. He made his own lane. So not only can I self-publish, but I can create a whole damn publishing company and then help other people who are getting discouraged by showing them the way and doing it underneath my brand. 
Absolutely. It it's so great. So people just need to realize the importance though of of spreading your own content and having this good voice and unique voice and and having it resonate with people. So you can so that's what sounds like what this guy did is he had something interesting to offer, right? If he just wrote, you know, some book that no one cared about, maybe this whole thing wouldn't have worked. So you have to have something that's new and interesting and resonates with people, but you can test that in a way. If you're on social media, you can you can see what works and you can see if people are interested or not. And that's kind of is the first step, I guess. Yeah, maybe you don't have to go straight to the website, but a lot a lot of the concepts for the film Food Lies I put out on my Food Lies social media and I post I make all these graphics and different concepts I have and then I can see what people respond to and some posts I'm like oh my god this got 2000 likes and there's 180 comments like okay that that's like resonating with someone and something else may be not even close to that so it's really cool what you can do these days well and the nice thing with how social media targets their audiences. Um, there may have been someone out there who wasn't quite familiar with your page, but actually works in or has a very same passion in that field and somehow stumbled across it, read your post, and no, I'm just making all this up, but I'm sure it probably happened. I mean, mm. no has to, where they comment, hey, I like where you're going. I do work in this field. By the way, you may want to look into X, Y, and Z. And so now they're actually not only providing content for your film, but they're actually providing you research routes that you wouldn't have known of before. So it, it, it becomes more communal in that sake that you actually have people who are familiar or have the same passion who like what you're going or, or saw that you may have missed something important that would provide more um, evidence or more research to what you're trying to explain. And they can send you a private message or even something as small as a comment with a keyword that you didn't even know of could send you down a whole other path to find more research and more evidence for what you're trying to uh, prove. Yeah, absolutely. That And that has happened. Absolutely. People send me stuff all the time and it, it helps further my research and I'm always trying to be open-minded and look, look at both sides. You know, especially with this nutrition world, there's so many conflicting sides. So, it's huge to to really build this community, build your tribe. And that's what it's all about is, is like a tribe. <laughs> and it really goes along with this sort of ancestral approach to nutrition as well where we, we lived as tribes for most of history. So it's definitely, <laughs> it's definitely a good thing. Well, and the one thing that I don't want to beat people over the head with over the last few episodes, but I just can't express how important it is, and that is the – Willingness and acceptance of hard work, continuous work, consistency, and just having a drive. Now, obviously, if it's something you're passionate about, putting those hours in doesn't seem like hours. It's something you enjoy. But you will never, ever be successful at anything except for maybe winning the lottery if you're only willing to do it for seven, eight hours a day. If your cutoff mm-hmm. is, hey, I'm, I put in my eight hours, now it's time for me to watch TV for the rest of the day. You may find a career making a decent living, but you're never going to achieve your passion. You're never going to get whether it's making a movie or making a, you know, a sweet ass bedroom set for your twin girls. If you're not willing to put some work in after you get home from work, it's never going to get done. And I just try to hammer into people's minds. You know, I'm an Adidas guy. I've loved Adidas for my mm-hmm. entire life. I'm not a Nike guy. Mm-hmm. 
has mm-hmm. nothing to do with po- politics or anything. I never, back when I was a kid and I was skateboarding, I wasn't in physical fitness. And like I said, I'm a Adidas guy. I never understood the whole Nike Just Do It campaign. It never made any sense to me. Fast forward 25 years now that I, you know, I'm working two jobs. I work 13 hours a day. I go to the gym. I run insane miles on the weekend. And people say, well, how do you do it? The Nike thing just, it makes sense now. You just do it. Mm-hmm. You just, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it sounds dumb, but it's that, it's that simple. Now, obviously you're not going to get out and run 14 miles, but you can walk three blocks and then Thursday walk two blocks and then run the last block. You work your way up to it. The first step to anything, whether it's making your own independent film, whether you've been struggling trying to say, I want to get a podcast off the ground, whether you want to do open mic night, whatever. It's all about short-term goals, meeting the short-term goals, setting new longer-term goals. It's all about just get up and just do it. Yeah. And, you know, even on the smallest scale, what I found when I don't want to do something, if you just put into motion and just you're almost like half-assing it or you're almost like, oh, I'm just going to open up this spreadsheet. I don't want to do my you know business stuff right now. Mm-hmm. But if you just start opening up and like, oh, I'm just going to do like one or I'm just going to open it. And then pretty soon you're just doing it. Like even you know what I mean? Like just super small things. It's just put them in motion. Like yeah, like you said, just walk the three blocks. I mean, just get it going. That, that you need that start. Yeah. I mean, before you can work out an hour every night at the gym, you got to put in five minutes. No one expects Absolutely. you to get up and just work out. Get up, go down the gym, walk on the treadmill for five minutes. Um, go try a few other things. Say, wow, that's make a deal. Go home and make then a next- deal with yourself. Yeah. yeah, make a deal with yourself. Just say, hey, I'm, I'm just going to do five minutes on the treadmill and see what happens. Right? Don't just, just start small and then you'll just somehow you'll just keep going. Be self motivated, believe in yourself. And um, I haven't really talked about it too much on this podcast, but um, the, the other life changing event for me was about a year ago. Um, my stepmom was healthy. 72 years old, delivered meals on wheels on Saturday, woke up Sunday morning, said I can't breathe, was on life support an hour and a half later, 12 days later, passed away, had a pulmonary embolism in her lung. Now, that's not something that you can really stave off or prevent, obviously through through eating, yes, but the point is that she was literally de- delivering wheels for people who were homebound the day before. My point is, get up every day, be happy. Because life is short, work hard, but find your passion, find things you're passionate about, and do what it takes to get those things done, because one day you may wake up dead. You can keep putting it off to the future, but you're not guaranteed the future. And as cliche as that sounds, until you have a life-changing thing like a family member dying of something like that, or cancer, or what have you, as you get older and you see your family members dying, the other thing I say is, the older I get, the younger old gets. When you're 18, you think 40-year-olds are old. When you're 20, mm-hmm. you think 80-year-olds are old. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm 40 and I'm interviewing these 93-year-olds for my World War II podcast, they don't seem that old to me anymore. Mm-hmm. And so chase, yeah. self-motivation, work hard, chase your dreams, and just try to find happiness. Absolutely. And, and yeah, I guess another thing I'd say is a lot of people, they feel like they – they just have they're stuck in their job and that you know they have these other passions and a lot of people think that oh, you just have to have this passion from day one and and that you can just do it and you can pursue it oh, i'm going to go to art school because i want to do art 
Well, I, I don't think that's always true. I think I think a lot of people, if you just work, you, you, you need to find a way to pay the bills. And then maybe you can make your passion come later, mm-hmm. right? And then you can figure that out. You have to figure out what that passion even is. I didn't figure it out. I was actually fumbling around with all kinds of things until two years ago when I really figured it out. You know, I was trying different tech companies. I was trying different things, and it wasn't working. So it, a lot of this stuff just takes time too. So for one is is set yourself up for success by at least getting a, a job that pays the bills. Again, people are just like, oh, I, I, art is my passion. And then they just try to do art their whole life, and they're just this struggling artist, and it never works because you never have any foundation or – your monetary foundation or, you know, stability. But I think it's okay because I think most people do work normal jobs, right? Most people mm-hmm. listening. So, you know, it's okay to do that, but it, it just, you'll, you, you'll find what you really want to do over the years in your, in your spare time. And then you can finally pursue it with some stability. So you're passionate about health. You're passionate about food. You're passionate about, dietary um, research for health conditions. We've talked about your podcast briefly, the Peak Human Podcast, which basically is available on everywhere. I think I listened to it on Stitcher today. So it's basically available where all the same podcast platforms are. We talked about food lies. What can you tell me about this uh, nose-to-tail meat? Oh, yeah. Well, that's something I got into. So I always had this bigger vision of for sapien i mean i have sapien.org and it's my company sapien it's like i want to do it all right i want to have i want to spread the information right i want to create content there's three pillars to it create content and information and education for people right so it's a film youtube social media then i want to create health technology and help people i work with a doctor and we're building health technology to help people implement these eating plans and use uh health coaches uh, a lot of the problem is a doctor just spent has only so many minutes to spend with someone and they need other people to help enact these lifestyle changes so we're building some technology and then the third pillar is how do we get food healthy food to people we need to change the way we do farm and we need to change what we eat. And so a lot of that is around grass, grass-fed animals, right? These these cows are actually helpful to the environment. All these vegan propaganda will tell you that they're harmful and, oh, there's this methane. Well, how about there was like 100 million bison roaming North America uh, not too long ago. And what, what was the problem with methane then? Right, so I mean, nature has a way of working stuff out. That's a long story. You can listen to this Frank Mitloner podcast. Dr. Frank Mitloner's amazing professor out of UC Davis and dispels all these myths. But anyway, I, I really believe in grass-fed meat and raising animals properly. And and so I, you know, worked for a long time to find the right ranch and partner to partner with. And you know, we're selling grass-fed meat to everywhere in the, the 48 United States uh, that we can ship to easily, not Hawaii or Alaska. And, you know, we have great animals, pork, ch- chicken, lamb, beef, and buffalo. So, yeah, that's at nose2tail.org. So I, I think that kind of completes the picture where it's, it's the, all the different sides of health. 
Well, I mean, it's one thing to, you know, as we talk about the gentleman who created the cage rations, it was often reported that he was seen eating in restaurants things that weren't on his uh, recommended dietary supplement list, yeah. in which he would say, well, that's for those people. Um, you know, it's one thing for you to get the information out there through your podcast and then to start this project of Food Lies, but you're kind of putting your money where your mouth is by saying, okay, well, here's what I'm telling you to eat or suggesting you eat or telling you what's wrong with what you're eating now, but I'm not going to stop there. Here's a source of where you can get better foods. And so, you're, like you said, you're kind of trying to complete the circle for at least your mission in life. Exactly. And I think people should support their local farmers. You know, if you can get them at a farmer's market around around you, then, you know, get your meat from there. But if not, and or if it's easier, you can order it from me. And also a big thing is I'm trying to offer organ meats. That's another I, – I didn't see a lot of that happening. And it was, wasn't easy for a lot of people to eat these organ meats. But I think, you know, they're very nutritious. And our ancestors knew this. And, I mean – we, we, we see animals, they go straight for the liver, right? Mm-hmm. And, we, and we see tribes and we study modern hunter-gatherers and they go straight for the liver. It's this prized thing. But in America today, no one's eating liver. <laughs> well, at least, not the, and, at least not the Anglos. We, you know, there, obviously there are certain demographics, especially from Southern America who come up here who, you know, are more susceptible and more open to eating those animal parts. But definitely, you know, a large majority of us definitely, you know, with the exception of, oh, I tried some cow tongue once at a restaurant on a dare. No, there is a lot more to uh, it than that. Exactly. And so, you know, I'm, you know, selling stuff like the the organ meats with the liver and the heart and the kidney mixed in to ground beef so that pe- it's easier for people and it, it's more palatable. And, you know, selling bones, you can make your own bone broth. We have bone broth, all, the, all these healthy things that, yeah, exactly. We're we're not used to doing in America, and that we should be doing. Well, coming up on a future episode, just to go ahead and get the plug in now, I'm going to have my cousin Annie on. She actually went to college to uh, do studies in um, wildlife management. Fast forward a few years, for the last five years, she's run a little place called Darkwood Farm, and um, she's outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, in uh, the town I grew up in. And the Cincinnati newspaper actually did a story on her about successful women, and she was talking about how hard it is in northern Kentucky to be a farmer nowadays. Because all mm. the property, basically Cincinnati's blowing up. Um, Emilio Estevez is in Cincinnati now. He said Cincinnati in 2019 is like New York City in the 60s. Property is affordable, everything's close, and it's just hopping. But because mm. Cincinnati's blowing up so much, all those people are buying properties in northern Kentucky, where I'm from. And so all the property that was farmed when I was a kid are all now golf courses, gated communities, and all that. And in this article, she's talking about how hard it is to be a farmer in 2019 because most farmland is more valuable as parcels for properties. And so these family, you know, these family farms has been in families for generations. The younger kids have no interest in farming. And so they just, once that farm becomes theirs, they just turn around and sell it for a few million. And so the farmland's drying up. So what she actually does is she rents She's almost like an old school land leaser. She rents an acre of property out in a place called a Rabbit Hash, Kentucky. She started her own farm on it and was doing the farmer market thing for a few years. But the quality of her food is so good that now she primarily, I think 85% of her clientele are the high-end restaurants in Cincinnati. They come to her mm. for all their fresh produce. And so she has that kind of locked in. 
and people are coming to her it's like well why don't you expand why don't you get bigger you can the bigger you get the more you can produce the more you produce the more money she's like because i like my acre farm if i get over an acre that's less the oversight i have because i need to bring in more people the quality goes down now if there's other farmers in the area who produces the same quality of produce that i do perhaps we can partner up but as far as me personally i like my acre of land and so I'm going to have her on a future episode to talk about what it's like to be a farmer and a female farmer in 2019 and the efforts that she goes through to get quality, healthy foods out to the public. Yeah, that's really great. And I think that's so important. And I wrote, read a book called Grass-Fed Nation. It was kind of about that. It's, it's about that we need to go back. We used to have a lot of these small mixed farms. So not necessarily what she's doing exactly, but sure. they would be they would use animals and plants together, and it is this harmonious cycle. It's like the the cow manure feeds the soil, right? And and then you can grow better plants on it. And and so, I love that, and I think that's my future sort of vision for America. And I I am going to address it in Food Lies film, and already working on the sequel. And we're we're going up to Toronto actually tomorrow day after tomorrow i'm going nice. to toronto to film with some farmers who are, who are doing stuff like this and and that we need to kind of just go back to how we used to do things and it was it was these smaller family operations and and you have that quality control and and i think that's really important well not only that and before we wrap it up we're, we're missing out on flavor a lot of this stuff is so over engineer like you go down to your big box store and you get these huge strawberries these huge grapes but they have no flavor the flavor's mm-hmm. been pumped out of them well we're all familiar with how you know uh the the mountain behind the chorus plant produces certain water so it creates the perfect flavor for beer and we know the difference between yams and sweet potatoes is one's grown in atlanta georgia well as we start producing as we start turning farmland into real estate soil Soil content creates a different flavor. And something you grow in this geographic location, even in the same state, whether it's in the northern Kentucky versus eastern Kentucky, is going to have a different flavor to it. And so by us wiping out all these small farms and relying on the big farms to give us these genetically modified foods, we're basically muting out all our flavors too. Absolutely. I read a whole book on that too. It's called The Dorito Effect, and it it goes into – all these different foods and how they used to taste and and the soil and the flavoring and all this stuff and and now his theory of why we're fat and sick is because we've we've wiped out all the nutrients in the soil and, and nutrients in our food and we've replaced it with fake flavors so now it's tricking our bodies so our bodies our humans are sort of adapted to kind of get cues from the flavor to know what kind of nutrition is in it food right so if you eat something that's really nutrient dense and you eat like a chicken that was raised how it's supposed to eating little grubs and worms and on pasture and you taste these nutrients and we knew that and then if you ate some you know something that was just a bunch of water maybe you know like some modern day watermelon that maybe is just even more watery than they already are and doesn't have as many nutrients we would be able to taste that but now we're adding like the dorito we're adding tons of flavor and it and so now we're thinking we're getting nutrients because it's such a high flavor but there's nothing in it it's just a bunch of processed bleached wheat 
wheat flour, right? So, so yes, very important. Much like the Pringle is not a potato chip. <laughs> it, yeah. You know, and back to my my WTSP podcast, I was talking to a gentleman about three episodes back. He goes around the country and he has one of the very few existing full examples of the World War II field kitchen. And one of the things he does is he goes to his local farmers and he taught me something I didn't know. And my point being Mother Nature kind of takes care of its own. He says he had... I think he said he had 12 or 15 dozens of farm fresh eggs sitting in his living room. I said, living room? Don't you need to refrigerate those? He said, no. When a chicken lays an egg, if you do not wash it or wipe it off, the chicken's body has a, for lack of a better term, a chemical that coats that egg, and it will be good for up to a week at room temperature. Now, obviously, you don't want to sit out in the sun, but you can just mm-hmm. store it and room temperature because of the coating on it that it does not need to be refrigerated and he also says that you know and i and i always ask myself why is it when i watch these high-end food shows whether it's um i'll have what phil's having or all these kitchen shows why is it every egg i see in a high-end restaurant is brown never white i said because those are the farm fresh eggs he says those Mm -hmm. are the best tasting and the best quality egg you'll ever have and so i've even gone as far as trying to uh start buying different colored eggs and staying away from the all white processed ones as well. And that sounds right. How do you process an egg? Well, go to any farm. Show me where the white eggs are at. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I've definitely gone down that path and get these, um, either farmer's market eggs or, you know, if people just want to go to the grocery store, I'm a big fan of these happy eggs. If anyone's heard, seen that brand around, these these happy eggs, these yolks are orange. Yep. they're so nutrient dense. They they they're they're bright orange. So and that's the other thing he said: the darker orange the yolk, the the healthier the egg is. Absolutely. Which is opposite. We you know for those of us who never really cooked, we kind of think, well, if it's not bright yellow, it's got to be bad. No. <laughs> Bro- <laughs> His name is Brian Sanders. He is the host of the Peak Human podcast. He is the um, I guess pretty much everything. You're the producer, the writer, um, the end all be all of food lies. And he, um, now do you, I'm assuming you have some partnerships when it comes to the nose to tail meats. Yeah. I'm doing a lot of my own, but I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely not a rancher. So I, I definitely have a partner there in Texas. Fantastic. Well, Brian, thank you so much for your time. If you want to throw out your uh, websites again, your Instagram handles and all that stuff, I will say go for it. And I just want to appreciate you for joining us on the Fail to Fail podcast. And anything we can help you out in the future, just uh, let us know. Yeah, thanks so much. Everything's at Food Lies. If you just search for Food Lies on any social media, you'll find me. And sapien.org is just the main hub and you can find anything I'm doing. And we're almost done filming. We're editing. It should be out in a few months. You can get it on Indiegogo, pre-order, and that'll help us a lot because we're, you know, we're community powered. I'm, I'm trying to not take any money from anyone, especially, you know, big companies or any kind of people. Like people could say that, oh, you, this is, you know, you, you biased. You're taking out. There's outside interests influencing it. So it's all community powered. And when it comes to Peak Human Podcast, I just want to give you props because um, you were saying at the beginning of one of them, because I listened to like two or three of them today, that even when someone comes on your show that you may not agree with wholeheartedly when it comes to their dietary choices or, or what their belief structures are when it comes to their research, you are asking them to come on your show. You're not setting them up saying, 
a political battle. You're not going to sit there and talk them down and say, no, you're wrong, blah, blah, blah. You let them get their information mm-hmm. across. You let them get all their stuff out. You may make, you know, point something out before they come on or afterwards, but you're not going to debate them. That's not why they're there. And I think we as a world, not even a country anymore, but as a world, we would do better if we all did that. There's so many people who don't want to listen to anything or even talk to someone just because, not even political, but just maybe they don't completely have the same beliefs in whatever. But the fact that mm-hmm. you have people on who where you agree with 60% of their message, but maybe not 40, but you're not going to debate them on that 40 because, once again, they're a guest on your show, and uh, you want them to get what their, their message is out. And I think that is great, and uh, keep up the good work, sir. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to learn. I want to be open-minded. I don't want to, you know, go down some route and think that I, I'm, I have the, all the right answers. So I think it's a good <laughs> closing message there. Thank you, Brian. You have a good one. Okay. Thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, that is going to wrap it up for this week's episode, episode number five. I hope you uh, found some information there that uh, you didn't know before or possibly might enlighten you to go support the people over at the Peak Human podcast in the Food Lies movie. Thank you so much. We will talk to you guys next week. And real quick, we want to hear from you. Have any comments, suggestions, or you think you know somebody who should be on the show, email us at info at failedtofail.com. That's info at F-A-I-L-E-D-T-O-F-A-I-L.com. Failedtofail.com. Email us. We want to hear from you. Talk to you guys soon. This has been a Digital 410 production.